0: My friend, your role as a father is critical. You are so important. Three nuggets that hit me from my conversation with Jeremy today are one, invest time, energy, and resources into the family culture that you are creating. Two, don't become stale by hiding behind past successes. And three, and this is powerful, my friends, be free to be the man that you want to be. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned father to five kiddos, currently ages 11 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. I'm in the thick of it and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of a father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Jeremy McWilliams. I learned so much, so many beautiful nuggets. Enjoy meeting Jeremy. Jeremy, what is up, my friend? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. How are you feeling today? Man, glad to be here. Yeah, dude, I'm pumped. You and I were at a Rise of Kings event. We're standing in the back of the room, and I don't even remember exactly what it was. Like We had crossed paths, but we had this 10, 15-second conversation, and there was just a connection. I'm like, I really would love to talk deeper about fatherhood. And I think it had something to do with you doing jiu-jitsu with your kids or something around that. Do you recall?
1: Yeah, I think that's what it was. So at the time, my daughter and I had competed in a competition on the same day. And so like she got to roll, I got to roll, and we got to celebrate each other. And so we got pictures on the podium together. It was a solid vibe, man.
0: Yeah, that's sick. So I just started jujitsu three weeks ago, because two of my daughters are doing it. And it's been so fun. I know nothing. But it's cool because the class is like a family class. So there's probably eight to 12 dudes and then eight to 12 kids. But man, yeah. I got my ass handed to me on Thursday from this eighth grade boy. And then I wrestled this eighth grade girl, which is so funny, like it's not weird at all. I barely lasted the three minutes or whatever the time frame was. So it dude, it's such a rad sport to get get into. So I'm having a good time and my daughter's
1: oh my been doing about yeah. a year. Yeah. Isn't it funny? So there's, there's a one fellow I'm thinking of right now. I'm not going to use his name, but he's a 145 pound CFO and I'm 200 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Like, <laughs> and this dude will literally murder me at will. There is nothing I can do when he decides to do something. He can do that thing and just execute all over me. And as I think about it, like, he has the ability to learn that sort of skill in that way. Then inversely, I would have the ability at some point to get to a skill level where I could do that to someone. So I'm fully and thoroughly addicted. I just had my ear drained yesterday and it's still swelling up again. Yeah. So like I'm in, man. I'm hard in
0: Yeah. And it's so funny, because I've resisted the last couple of years, because it's like what everybody talks about. And I'm the guy who's I'm not going to do it because everyone's doing it. But what I've found that I love about it is my days are so full of mental thought that for one hour of my day, like I'm doing it two, three days a week, literally, you can't think of anything else, you have to be fully present. And I just don't feel like there's a lot of things in life where it requires you to be 100% present. And it's probably because I don't know anything, right? So every second is learning, but I'm really enjoying it. It's good. And it's cool. Dude, I got a Great video I just posted of my daughter twisting me up, bringing me down, and me having to tap out. And She's 11. She's choking me. It was awesome.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. My daughter's 11, too. So, my daughter who does jiu-jitsu, she's my middle daughter. She's 11 and she's the same way. She's just in our family. There are 11 cousins, and nine of those cousins live all local here. They all go to the same school. Uh, nine cousins all go cool. to the same school. And so, her birthday party a couple of weeks ago, all the kids get together. And we have mats that fold out here. So, instantly, one of the kids that comes over is from jiu-jitsu or whatever, they throw the Open and it turns into this like the thunderdome yeah. that's happening in our upstairs. And my daughter is a master blaster, just owning everyone, including the boys that are bigger than ours everyone's nervous none of the boys want to roll with her because they're all afraid of her and they shouldn't be she's <laughs> gonna strangle all of them yeah man it's so freaking beautiful i can't hardly take it and the, the parallels to life for me man i get so much content from jiu-jitsu i find myself just constantly inundated with new things to consider that came up for me through the endeavor i uh, love it man all right first question how old do you
0: find yourself today I am 44 years young. 44 years young. Okay, so interesting the way people answer the question. So 44 years old, but why add the young to it? What does that mean for you?
1: I have a tendency to joke around. And so 44 years young is just me being silly. But normally what you'd say to someone who's actually legitimately old, Yeah, 98 years young today, or whatever. I'm just being an idiot. Love it. And then how many years you've been married? I've been married right after 15 years. And so we just celebrated 15 last month.
0: Dude, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. And then how many... kids do you have and what are their ages three daughters 13 11 and eight Nice. Love it. Oh my gosh. So I got four daughters yeah. and one son, but being a, a dad to girls is such an incredible honor. And the fact that you're doing the jujitsu and I'm sure other things with your kids is just so rad. It's this mindset of like, ah, oh, I need to do this with a boy is just super inaccurate. And it's funny. Yeah. I actually had a dude walk up to me at the gym the other day. He's probably 65 and he's like, hey, I just love seeing you here with your daughters because my daughters go with me to the gym more than my son does. Where do you guys live? Where do you guys reside as a family?
1: We're in Northwest area of Phoenix. So like we're about as far northwest in Phoenix as you can get and be in the Phoenix metropolitan area. So we live up near Lake Pleasant. Okay, cool. And then
0: kind of an offshoot is it's unique for families to be residing in the same area now. So you mentioned that you have a lot of cousins in the area. So is it your side of the family, your wife's side of the family? How did it work out that you're all in the same area?
1: So a little bit of a longer story there that I'll make real short. My wife's from Seattle and her whole family's from Seattle. I met my wife by the army moving me to the Pacific Northwest to joint base Lewis McCord. And my wife's whole family has always ever been from Seattle. And then the riots in 2020 happened, made us really consider where we were raising our kids. And then we went on a hunt for a place to live. And so a uh, place to move to. We found Arizona after a lot of looking. We found the Phoenix area. When we moved here, all of her family came to mm. visit us and everybody fell on. Love. And so then everybody moved here. Wow. And, so, and then my mother and stepfather ended up moving over from Mississippi, which is where I'm from. Central Mississippi is where I was born and raised. And so right now we have my mother and stepfather live about 15 minutes down the road. And then my wife's sister lives a quarter mile down the road. Her parents live one mile down the road. And her other sister lives three miles as the crow flies down the road. It's just, and all our kids go to the same school. We see each other constantly. We're going to see each other in a few hours. Everyone's coming to our house for dinner tonight.
0: So to as much as you want to expose yourself based on how you would want to answer this question. Okay, so I'm trying to talk to my kids more, right? We're we're a very independent family, but we do love to come back together. But we're having more conversations because my oldest is a senior. She's going to be moving to college on the mainland. But we're talking about, hey, where will you guys land? You're going to get married. They're going to have families. Where are you going to land? And what does it look like to do life with your family? And there's a couple pieces on ask around this, but what's the value you find in being able to do life together more frequently?
1: Sure. I think there's some cultural values there. And then there's also some practical value. Practical value would be like, hey, I got to take one kid to the orthodontist, but I got two more kids. You call your sister who lives just down the road. Hey, can you pick up the kids from school? So there's a real practical value when it comes into sharing responsibility or even someplace for the dog to land when you go out of town for a week. Mm. And so of the practical value, I won't belabor the point there. The cultural value is one I can't overstate too. The cultural value, at least most of our extended family share our values. Yeah. And then we do most of our life with that family and with other friends. But our kids now are exposed to more of that. They're more immersed in that culture. And that's what we were basically becoming very cognizant in the Seattle area. The culture that we set up with our immediate family and then our extended family. So my wife's parents and her siblings. We were starting to see negative attributes breach the bubble of culture that we've created with our family. Mm-hmm. And we weren't down with it. And so then here, it doesn't feel so much like we live behind enemy lines here, if that makes ah. sense. Yeah, yeah. culture piece is a big one.
0: Okay, and I'm going to come back to that, but I'm going to dig into like the vulnerable part. I, I want to use two words. Is it easier? And the opposite of easier, I would say, is there some mess to it? Does some things become oh, messier? What's do- the benefit of the mess yeah. then? What's the benefit of that?
1: So I'll put my finger on the mess real quick. And then I'll talk about the benefit. When you do life closely with people. Yeah, it's almost like dancing. And when you dance with one another, you're going to step on each other's toes. Yeah, okay, beautiful. So, but the dance is still beautiful. Your toes may get all jacked up, but the dance is still beautiful. And ways that manifests in our situation would be like there's people in our family who maybe raise their kids differently than us, or maybe they respond to work-life balance things differently than we do in our family. Man, we could look at that as a real negatively impacting our right. kids, or we could look at it as a real positive. We get a chance to articulate the difference. Well, here's how we live in our family. We clean our house. Everything has a place. My wife is like incredibly organized. Our home is always very clean and tidy, even though we have three kids and two dogs. But there's others in our family who their house isn't that way. And my kids get to see the difference in these two homes. We all love each other, right? So yeah. it's not from a place of hate or anger or anything like that. They just get to see all of it and then we. Talk talk everything through in our house.
0: Yeah. So super cool because there's two things happening. On one hand, you're moving your entire family because of family values, right? We're gonna move our entire family because there are certain values where we feel behind enemy lines. But then there's other things that we're open to, not just cutting people out of our lives because they have a messy house. But in our culture, it's a flip flop, right? It's cut people out of our lives that make the little friction, like the messy mm-hmm. house, or like we let our kids drink soda and your kids don't. We cut oh, people
1: seemingly really dumb things benign. Yeah. Shit,
0: yeah. yeah. But then we have to live in this area and we have to accept all these things. And it's, it's bonkers, right? It's almost yeah. backwards to the way that you've approached it. I would like to bring up something that you said before we started recording, because I think this is critical for dads to hear. So if you don't want me to say it, then we cut no, it out. Sir. Yeah. One of the things you said about moving is that talk about your daughter's dating where in the soil that they're raised in or whatever. Talk about yes. just make that statement so it can sink in for some dudes.
1: Sure. So it happened in Seattle in 2020 the CHOP or the CHAZ or whatever that happened in Capitol Hill. I was activated to go, That was one of 20 Green Berets that got activated to go there for that. So while we're there, my wife and I start having real conversations, it starts becoming evident like we have to go and we must go. We start using the analogy that our children will date where they are. Like they're going to date in the soil in which they're planted. They're going to grow in the soil in which they're planted. And if we plant them in the soil in this place, then that's where they're going to grow. And no shade to anyone who decides to stay. More power to you. For us, that was the decision that we made. We have friends that are there still that we love. dearly. We see every so often. And man, all the responsibility Step in the world. For us, our decision was, no, we're not going to try to swim uphill with the culture there. We're going to find more amicable waters, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. And I just think that the concept for a dad to start thinking about, my daughters are going to marry somebody. My son's going to marry somebody. Same, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to marry somebody. And to what level? Maybe 500 years ago, the dad was way too involved in that. Yo, give me 10 sheep and a goat and you could take her. And today I'm like, you're 12 here's a phone, do whatever you want. It's like we've stepped way away from our responsibility to lead these kids into their relationship. So cool. Before we leave that point, as a father who has daughters stepping in, I've had one of my daughters have a couple dating and we're kind of in that right now. But for yourself, that's down the road. What's your philosophy on that? What's the conversations you're having with your mm. 11 and 13 year old now in preparation for that?
1: Yeah, so my 13 year old is tall and blonde and beautiful and coming like She's coming into womanhood and she cares nothing about boys. She cares everything about books like this. Got it. Old girl will read all night. Yeah, old soul there. Yeah, she and my middle daughter, the jujitsu one, the redhead. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, old girl is aware. Like she's tracking already. We have a policy and our kids totally get it too. Even my middle daughter, she understands like 11 years old is too young to date. Right. We're not opposed to dating in high school or something. But whatever dating is going to very much include your parents. Yeah. And so I get a lot of this stuff. And maybe do you any of this stuff where it's like, oh, you're going to be cleaning your shotgun when your daughter's boyfriend comes over? you get me that? I get that stuff all the time. And it's the exact opposite of what I'm going to do. Dude, I'm going to love that boy. I'm going to actively snuggle up next to that boy emotionally. I want to know him. And I want him to know that I know him. And I want him to see into me. And I want to be close to him. In fact, I want to be so close to him that I have a voice in him, that he can hear my voice, that he can listen to my voice. He can listen to my reason. I want him to see that I love him. And my solemn prayer is that whoever it is my daughters end up with, that in the event of the zombie apocalypse, I can look at my daughter and say, go with him. You have a better chance living with that guy. Like genuinely, I want them to marry a man that I'm afraid of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good, man. I think it's super important for dads to be thinking about those things right now and starting to cultivate those conversations with their daughters yeah. now so that their daughters trust them. Right. So there's no secrecy. We want to limit that to the best of our ability.
1: Yeah. We do to start building trust with our kids at 13. We start building trust with them at three. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yes. And the conversation,
0: you start to build a conversation at three, four five. So that it continues through 13
1: to 19 and beyond. Yeah.
0: What is it that you do for a living to provide value out in the world and support the family?
1: At the time we moved down here, I was a business broker in Seattle. So, to make that long story short, we had been serial entrepreneurs since 2012. We bought our first business in June of 2012 and grew that business over the course of six months or so and used the funds from that to buy other businesses. So, we wouldn't Basically, buy distressed businesses and then sell them off six months or a year later or something for more money than we paid for them. All right. So we buy undervalued assets and we use the first business we ever bought as sort of our money machine to be able to buy those other businesses. And we buy ones that were broken and then we'd fix it and then sell it. And so in 2018, we sold basically every position that we had and hedged our family financially. I went to work as a business broker, helping other people do what I was doing, mm-hmm. identifying these deals and getting the deal over the finish line. And so did that for a few years. And then when we came down to Phoenix, and I've started with Rise Up Kings about the time that we moved to Phoenix, I transitioned over to Rise Up Kings as a coach. And I do a handful of things inside of Rise Up Kings. Nice. Yeah. And right now we're actually looking to make an acquisition here in the Phoenix area. And so we're actually on the hunt for a local business. There's a dream of mine, which is I want to own the business where my kids and their cousins all get their first job. So my dream is something local where I can show them what it means to start work. Yeah. They can do that in an atmosphere that I get to have some aspect of control over. Okay, so, so two parts of that control over what? Well, control over the space, right? So then if I own a business, I get control over the people and the processes that happen inside that business. Yeah. And so then I know that they're going to be sliding into a culture that's Going to help make them Mm. better, even if it's not me. So they're going to slide into a culture that's going to promote them showing up on time and working hard and thinking creatively and all of these things. They're going to be surrounded with people that are on the same trajectory as that.
0: Yeah. Not looking for a free ride. No, but I love the distinction because what you're saying is you want to have a very high influence on the culture of the business that they'd be stepping into, not I want to make sure that my daughter's husband is like my slave and I get to control the outcome of their life. life. But I think, yeah. important because I think some dudes who are like, you're trying to be a king, whatever you're like, no, this isn't about control. This is about creating an environment of service. So I really like this because I think a lot of other men around 40 and just like dudes who are thinking along the lines of you and I are thinking more about legacy and family longevity and not just let me buy a business and let me cash out and give my kids each money to become pieces of crap. But is there a position to create a business where my family could work together? So as you've gone through this thought process, what were some of the businesses that you thought this would provide value and create that kind of like longevity? What are some of those businesses you've been thinking through?
1: To be honest, I'm not particular as far as the industry in which the business operates. There are some things that need to be true. So this is the lens mm-hmm. through which we're looking at this potential acquisition. There's a few things that need to be true. One, it needs to be true that there are people and processes already running the business. So I don't step into a job. I step into owning this company. Number three is that the business has to afford me enough time to be able to fly back to Dallas once a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a rise Horizon P. Is a bullseye of what I was built for on this earth. Yeah, so that's a non-negotiable. And then number four is that it needs to be local enough where I can have the maximum amount of impact on my community my local church, and my local family. And so those are things that need to be true in order to execute. Now, I have a couple of no-gos. Like I don't go into the retail space, so I'm not interested in retail. So I'm not interested in clothing store or anything of that nature or a convenience store. So there's a couple industries that are just sort of absolutely no for me. So why not a convenience store? That's a whole nother podcast. I've sold a few convenience stores as a broker, but there's a lot of reasons why. Okay, so the
0: reason why I asked in 10 seconds is that there was a convenience store for sale up the road. And Mm -hmm. a friend of mine kept asking me about wanting to do it. Man, just seeing the dude who's rolling in there at 11 to buy his vodka every day. I'm like, that's like super exciting for me to know that I'm playing a role in it. It's not exciting to me. Anyways, you know, I was just curious if that played a role in it. So go on.
1: That's it. I'm not really interested in the the industry so much as I am interested in the things that need to be true in order for this to happen. Yeah. So that's the way in which we see it.
0: Okay, so then the last question on this, because as I'm in Hawaii, and I'm like keeping an eye on the landscape, and I'm thinking about my son becoming 18, 19, 20, where some things that he could step in, I'm thinking about these industries that are like trades, like HVAC, or plumbing, or electrical, or whatever, these things that would outlast certain economic changes. It's totally. Real. Yep. But some of those things I think are maybe a little bit more difficult to purchase because you want to be able to be an expert in the business and not have to be an expert in like I'm the Alexa, expert, right? plumber. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Usually you have to probably find the right partner in that. Okay. Beautiful. And I think it's important for dudes just to get their wheels turning about that kind of stuff. When you think about becoming a father and your role as a father, when did you embrace it, right? There's this moment where maybe you decided, let's start trying. There's this moment where you hear, hey, I'm pregnant. There's the incredible barbaric miracle of watching your baby be born. And then there's- That's great of describing that. <laughs> yeah, it is a barbaric miracle. You're like, how is this happening? And you are incredible. And then there's this moment I see where your child starts to interact with you. And so at what point did you go, Whoa, Oh, this matters for me.
1: So, a little bit of an interesting story there. I was deployed on what's called an operational detachment Alpha, an ODA. It's a team of 12 Green Berets. I was deployed when my wife was eight months pregnant with our first child. Mm-hmm. Uh, on September 29, 2010, I took about eight hand grenades on a rooftop, me and three other dudes. The first hand grenade that went off hit me in the small of the back and rolled off to my side. I was laying in the prone on my belly. I looked back over my right shoulder and I see an old Russian hand grenade with no spoon. So I turned my eyes away, quickly turned my head around and it blew up and it took out a big chunk of the back of my right ass. And then they just started popping off everywhere. So if you can imagine like one, two, three, four, I was in the number two position and me and the guy in the number one position, we peel off to the left, the other two guys peel off to the right and then they started shooting at us on the roof. We're on the roof of the second story. This is all gonna make sense in a minute. I remember your question, but it's going to make sense. No, oh, I love it. Keep going. I, I ended up going over the edge of the roof. And that's when the last hand grenade hit me in the crack of the ass. Hit me right in the butt crack. Rolled between my legs and blew up between my legs. Blew out my scrotum. Blew out my right knee. And then it was either like a big chunk of shrapnel or a ricochet from one of the rounds coming, skipping off the top of the roof. Hit high inside my left thigh. And then I just crawled straight off the roof, man. lawn dark. 20 feet right to my face. And so look at that fellow right there. I've never been classically handsome. I've always had a killer personality. Classically handsome, but the whole falling on your face thing really didn't help the whole scene. So anyways, long story there, but we ended up fighting for about 45 minutes to get clear of this compound. And it was another man who drugged me the helicopter. And I get back to the, land, to the tarmac at Bastion Air Base. And someone hands me a satellite phone and they say, call your wife. Now, I'm bleeding profusely out of everything. My legs don't work. I don't have any pants on anymore. And I call my wife who's home alone eight months pregnant with our first child and the next morning she's going to take her test for her real estate license so at two thirty in the morning my wife answers the phone and stays as calm as is humanly possible hey b it's me my wife's name's bethany i call her b hey b it's me i'm alive i'm all my eyesight and all my limbs but i've been in an accident I'm coming home and she said yeah all right Okay. All right. I love you. Bye. She took it, man. And this stuff, it's been 13 years later, and it still makes me emotional. Think about how incredibly tough that was. I got chills over my whole body, man. And she went basically two weeks without hearing from me. So I had like 10 surgeries in Bastion Air Base, Kandahar, launched to a regional medical center in Germany, Walter Reed at Andrews Air Force Base, and then Madigan Army Medical Center. And so I had all these different surgeries. I didn't know where I was, what was going on. My wife comes to see me at eight and a half months pregnant in the hospital. You
0: know, if you can say, but where were you then? I was at Madigan Army
1: Medical Center in Fort Lewis. So she drove the okay. 20 miles south from our house, where 15 okay. miles south to base. They let her on post and middle of honor winner, Leroy Petrie was actually my advocate. So Leroy Petrie, who's a Medal of Honor winner, he wasn't at the time, but he was the one like escorting my wife around everywhere wow. and making sure she had access to everything. He coordinated for her to get on. A guy named Damien, he also helped coordinate a guy for a Special Forces group there in Fort Lewis. Got my wife on the post. I say all of that to say my experience of becoming a father, my wife went into labor and her water broke. She went home and gave birth at a home birth. I got wheeled out of the hospital on a 24-hour pass to go be physically present at the birth of my first child, but I don't <laughs> remember of it, but the only reason I got to be present oh with my first child is because I got met back to the United States, and so I became a father for the first time. I had the last cognitive memory that I had, the last like lucid memory I had yeah. was me fighting for my life. Wow, alongside 11 other dudes who were all fighting for our lives, yeah. And wake up from that to be like borderline cripple, be a father and not be in the war zone anymore. That first experience was very interesting because I couldn't walk up the stairs to my own bed. I slept on the couch. But then the little nugget, my oldest daughter's name, Parker, she was just this little nugget. Mm-hmm. And I remember I felt a lot of frustration with a baby. Mm-hmm. And then as they got to where they could run around in Roughhouse and play, what's coming up for me is it felt like fireworks. That's when it like felt big and exciting and fun and really looking forward to more. I think my wife. I like the snuggly version more, like the nuzzle up and snuggle. I like yeah. being able to like body slam them on the mattress and then hold them upside down and carry them by one leg or whatever and put them on my shoulders. Like I liked when they could talk back. Yeah, you know? there's
0: like this interaction. Totally, you
1: had totally. them. Yeah. It was, but I think it stems out of something selfish in me, though. I want something out of this relationship. And as a baby, like I don't know that it comes from a good place. I've checked in here a lot. So I'm not certain for me it was always coming from a good place. I'm just being honest about it. What came up for me was this is now also fun for me. It's more natural for me to interact with this kid who can run around and play it.
0: My friends, sorry for this quick interruption. However, somewhat sadly, I get more questions from dudes about fitness than I do about fatherhood. But what I've found is that the fathers who start taking care of their fitness and nutrition end up finding fatherhood, marriage, work, and all other aspects of life come into a deeper clarity of purpose, enjoyment, and fulfillment. Now, I've partnered with Rise Up Kings to launch Ruck Fitness, a transformative program that is less focused on a six-pack in 90 days and more focused on you creating the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that will allow you to be a healthy asset to your family for decades. Come join me in a transformative journey to become the man you want to see in the mirror. Go check it out, www.rebellandcreate.com forward slash fitness. Yeah, I don't know you well enough, but just based on just the way you carry yourself and stuff, it's the relationship. Like you're a relationship guy, clearly. Like I see you get on stage and the stuff you say, I'm like, dude, did he rehearse that? Because it's so witty. But again, with it, it doesn't feel ego, dude. It feels connecting, right? And I think there's a difference. Am I acting this way right now because I want you to like me or because I want to connect with you? Which I think connection is mutual. It's not just about see how cool that I am. So I do think as fathers, that connection is pretty rad. So in thinking about being a father, first, I want to say, dude, kudos to you for freaking fighting for your life. And I don't mean just to be able to run around and do jujitsu, but mentally, like the mental game, dude, freaking amazing that you are where you are today. And it's such a gift to your wife and such a gift to your kids. And thank you for your service, but also not just your service then, but the way you're serving the world now. And I think that's a disconnect that we don't put two and two together. It's like that hell also probably epic experience experience of life to then figure out how to continue to love and serve the world in a different capacity. Yeah, we need more men to take what they learned and bring it into the world. So thank you for doing that. Yeah I mean, like
1: being warrior mm-hmm. and lover and they're definitely related. Those are brothers. Lover mm-hmm. and fighter are brothers. Mm-hmm. So to fight well, to be the warrior, you need to love something mm-hmm. or maybe you have a screw loose totally. Some guys do. <laughs> you know like it's it's both funny and sad, but there's some of these guys yeah. that like they need an outlet to go in violence. Right. And so then they find a positive outlet. A positive as long as you're on their side to love something enough to fight for it.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure this is heightened for you in some level because of the intensity of the first part of your career life. But when you think about the role of the father,
1: what do you define that role as? I see a father as the normal go-to would be provider and protector. I would expound on that some. I would go with guide, teacher. I would go with ever-present lover, Mm. like director of creative thought. Just literally all things. And so, man, I don't know that I show up in the same way for all three of my kids. It looks different with my youngest, who's eight. I try to love her how she best understands what love. She loves her horse, Spencer, and she loves to snuggle and she loves animals. My middle daughter is very relational and social. She needs to be out like a butterfly. My oldest daughter loves books and likes to deeply consider things and needs to have a voice. Like when so- when she feels wrong, she need to have a voice. And so I see myself as different things for each one of them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And here's what's so cool about what you just said and what I want dads to hear at some core level, you and I as human beings, we just desperately want to be known, right? I just want to be known. And you started going down the path of explaining the different roles, which are all great and beautiful, and we can connect with it. But then just really off the tip of your tongue, you're like, this is my first my eight my 11 and my 13 very specific for each one Mm -hmm. and I think that without even saying it the role of the father is to know your kids totally to know them and like you just expressed that you know them not only do you know them but you know how to connect with them and one kid needs me to connect this way another this way and I think dads it's okay some of your kids are easier to connect with for you because you're more relatable and I feel that totally pay attention to that and then the kids that are harder figure out how to meet them where they're at
1: yeah and something else that just came up for me there too. Also not trying to squash in them the things that are naturally going to come out that may be actually irritating. It's funny, we keep going back to the middle daughter, but she's got this like iron will mm-hmm. and just like <laughs> she would thrive in prison. She would have all the cigarettes in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's that type yeah. where it's like, how did you come home with so much candy? Who did you talk in to giving <laughs> you so much candy at school? She's just that kid and man, that drive, that creativity is going to serve her so well as an adult. Mm -hmm. if we can help her to channel it in a way that's constructive and not destructive. And the same thing for each of my daughters, trying to help them understand like here is a Christ-like trajectory through your type of personality living in this type of world and through culture and politics and parenting and adulthood and college and high school and junior high. Here's a Christ-like trajectory through mm-hmm. those idioms. Mm-hmm. And that's our take, man. And dude, I get it wrong a lot. And but
0: that's that not so bad, much- but see it's great. It goes back to us talking about the messiness of doing life with your kid, with oh. family, and or even the dance approach you did. If I'm dancing by myself in front of my mirror, I'm never going to step on anybody's toes. Your toes are always going to look great. Yeah, Yeah. I'm always going to look great, but I'm never going to grow. I'm going to look the same today in 10 years. But if I'm dancing with somebody, it's going to be super messy, but it's going to be beautiful in 10 years. And I'll still be stepping on their toes, but it'll be a a deeper, more meaningful dance.
1: And you learn to step on each other's toes less. You stay conscientious. If you pay attention to the way in which you're showing up, you learn how to step on each other's toes less. All the real damage to the toes comes in early while you're learning to dance. You get better at navigating all that.
0: Yeah dude it's so funny my daughter Presley she's 14 and she's very much like your middle child like you're talking about and she has a twin brother and he's trying to get a job at this restaurant and he was giving her crap he's oh yeah I'll get you a job as the dishwasher like just thinking like that like trying to belittle this and I was like Brody if you get her the job as the dishwasher and talk trash she'll be your boss in two months bro like she's gonna gonna start at the bottom yeah exactly (laughs) she's gonna be at the bottom but in two months she'll be freaking your manager bro and uh, he's (laughs) like whatever dad what's been the best research for you? As you journey through fatherhood, what's been the best resource for you and why?
1: Man, so as far as actual products out there, honestly, nothing really comes to mind. If, If I'm answering that question, maybe opening up your intended parameters a little bit, which I haven't asked a lot of clarifying questions. So I'm assuming some of these parameters. But if I open that up a little bit, like my own conscientiousness, paying attention when I was a kid, I think is the biggest thing. I had so many examples of what I didn't want. Yeah. To be a man. Who's been a good example of something you did want? So that would be like an amalgamation of a bunch of different men. Yeah. There isn't anyone in my purview where I can look and say, that man, I want to be exactly like that man. Mm-hmm. Instead, man, I did the same thing as looking for a wife, too, to be honest. I like the way she laughs. Right? It sounds very picky choosier at all. It's just like you recognize these beautiful attributes, whether it's in a future potential mate or whether it's in like modeling of adult male. What I noticed was there was these small attributes I would find in different men. Mostly, I feel like that was after high school, college, maybe and that really started happening in my mm. younger years. I feel like that was a little harder to find. And maybe it was due to my own lack of conscientiousness. But my parents got divorced when I was three years old. And that created a lot of tension that ended up manifest in junior high years. I was yep. like the weird kid who would have a panic attack on the way to school, mm. would blink like crazy. I couldn't stop blinking, show up all these weird ways, all the stress of mm. that. And then my first job was given to me by a man in our church. I chased a girl in church in the eighth grade, how I got saved. Chased a girl in the church, fell in love with Jesus. And this girl now, she's doing great. got some kids. She's married of her own. She's living a great life. But I didn't fall in love with her. I fell in love with Jesus and, and I stuck around. And this man in the church gave me my first job. And I remember he was like very tough, very hard. He owned a landscape company, but he was also Fair. I had experienced a lot of unfairness from my own eyes. He was fair to me. He was fair in my eyes, if that made sense. Yeah. Was there things you didn't like about him? Oh, totally.
0: Okay. So I asked that question because I think in our day and age, we're looking for the perfect specimen and like leaders are going to let you down. So then you write off everything, which I think is really unfortunate because I could learn this from you. This other thing I might not be so psyched on, but I don't need to take that, but let me learn from you what I can learn from you. Let me teach you. I could teach to you and stop looking for these perfect human beings. And that's why I think people get so let down when some leader or somebody does something. And that's why I love like one of the lessons I learned in Rise of Kings is the difference between between blind trust and mature trust, right? Knowing people are going to let me down, but that doesn't mean it ends at all and I'm writing it all off. And so anyways, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that.
1: As an adult, I can eat the meat and spit out the bones. Mm. When fish is put before me, I don't consume the bones and the scales. I have enough wherewithal to remove from the bones and the scales the meat that's good for me and leave behind what isn't. And in that same way, I can consume content and take what is healthy and beneficial for me and leave behind what isn't. I love that analogy because as you say it, I think so many
0: men and people right now are like eating the fish and then they get the bones in the mouth and they're like, become a victim. I can't believe you did this to me. Totally, You didn't tell me there are bones in here. It's like, dude, you're a freaking man now. You're a man, figure this out. All right, this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes. You've been doing it, just opening up your field notes to us. The mantra behind it is rebel and create, to rebel against something maybe culturally or in our society, but not just to bitch and complain about it, but to create something in its space. So when you hear the words rebel and create, what's something you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that?
1: Dude, this is so good. Rebel against the idea that as a man, you've arrived. So when I was a kid, every man in my purview had it all figured out and you weren't allowed to question anything and they had already paid their dues. You know what I mean? Yeah. As I came into my own manhood, I realized, dude, I'm 44 and I feel like I'm 19 inside my head. And you look at the way they tried to portray it as though they had it all together. Yeah. But based on the results, I have it way more together than these guys. And I don't have it together. Like they were lying to me. They were presenting this facade. And that's what I want to rebel against, man. No, let me say that better. That's what I am rebelling against. Like I don't have it all figured out. And I am still trying new things. And I'm not afraid to look like... The fool, and no man when I was young, no man was willing to look in my purview, anyways. No man that I had the ability to see, it wasn't evident to me that anyone was willing to look like the fool. They all presented themselves like they had it figured out and made them untouchable, yeah, and made everything they say gospel. Everything that came out of their mouth was canon.
0: And so, what's the negative to those guys who stopped learning and growing? What's the negative? Do you mean what's the downside? Exactly, what's the downside?
1: Just that it's death, right? Any future growth, it's death to anything that. goes beyond what you already know. Like all of that stuff is shut down. Any of the fun or creative times... That we could have had as children you can absolutely learn from your kids mm-hmm. it's my eight-year-old that got my whole family into jiu-jitsu when she was six turning seven out of the blue randomly she's like i want to go to a jiu-jitsu class and we're all like where did this come from and so then we all went to a jiu-jitsu class my daughter piper and i we stuck around and kept going and so like a year and a half now we've been going i go four five times a week maybe mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. less depending on how much slack it seems i have at the moment with the wife yeah man i want to rebel against that i want to rebel against this idea that men have it all together and that you have to create this facade where you always have it together. And the result of that, if you present that facade, there is absolute death ahead in that trajectory, in my view.
0: I love it. And what I want to lean into for dudes is that we're not talking about just death for yourself but we're talking about no more growth in your marriage. You're just like going through the motions, no more depth of connection with you and your kids and then their future spouses. Listen how Jeremy talked about, I wanna be like homies with my daughter's husbands one day, like work together, do life together. So you're cutting that all off. Well, I can't go talk to your dad because he's stuck in his ways. Are you joking me? Like we wanna be approachable. So when right. you hear those things, talk to me about your beliefs and feelings and thoughts around confidence, right? Because there mm. have been times as as Ned, 40 years old, have been stepping into, I've been seeking the day that I'm going to feel confident because I thought what confident meant was I paid my dues and I earned it. But now, just like you're talking, I've had this real realization in the last couple of years. That's not actually confidence. It's being able to go to a jujitsu class at 40 and I don't know what the hell I'm doing and go roll with a freaking eighth grader in front of other men and lose. Totally.
1: Yeah, so this is so cool how you drew the correlation here. You almost gave my answer by drawing the correlation the way that you mm. did. It's like being willing to look like a fool. I am confident in the fact that I don't know much and I don't have to pretend like I know much about something I don't know much about. And it's okay. I am absolutely broken and highly valuable.
0: Yeah. So how do you show up in that? I am a strong, confident man, but I'm also okay to look stupid because I'll tell you, that's one of the things that me and my wife fight about is from getting made fun of for this, that or the other in sixth grade or seventh grade, there's still this connection for me. I don't want to be an idiot. And dude, even yesterday we're getting out of the car and my 14 year old was joking with me because I was joking in the car. She's like, Oh, mom thinks you're an idiot. And it was just a joke. But at 40 years old, there's still this tiny bit of sting in my heart. But then I'm like, Ned, you're not an idiot. This is just fun and games. But I feel like a lot of men struggle with not wanting to look stupid or like an idiot.
1: Sure. So then I would say, are you pleased with the results you're getting from that?
0: Okay. And that was the beautiful thing you said. Okay. Based on results, because you were saying that 30 years ago, weren't getting any more results.
1: The results were done. They already paid their dues. They went to the Navy in Vietnam, or they went to the thing in the place and they did the thing. They became an electrician, or they became a plumber, or they were successful in this thing. And then they stopped. I became a green beret at 28 years old. What year was that? Basically you were ass before you were thirty. We get it. Yeah. And so I joined the army at twenty-four. What was okay. college? Yeah. Was it twenty-four? Yeah. Joined the army at 24, right after college. And then every time I start over, man, no, I was big dude in my high school. So a snapshot of the history of Jeremy, right? My parents get divorced when I was three. And then I go into this season where I was like the timid kid who only ate chicken nuggets and really was nervous about people. And then step into this thing. Now we're hunting and fishing all the time on the property out by our house where I grew up in the woods. Mm. Grew up on the soccer field, started building confidence into junior high and get really self-conscious and start having all these panic attacks and be like, yeah. I'm just like the weird kid. Finally, in eighth grade, I decided I'm just going to be nice to everybody. I made this decision. I'm just going to be nice to everybody. But damn the results. I'm just going to be nice. So I started just being nice to every person I talked to. I became the most popular dude in eighth grade. I got voted like all the two stuff yeah yeah cool going to high school I became Mr. Madison Central and I went to school with 4,000 kids right I became Mr. Madison Central go to college turned out to be weird again just flip the script and then 9-11 happens while I'm in college I get out quickly join the army 18 days after I finished college I'm joining the army and the army I start all over again right at the bottom look at idiot again your head all crooked at basic training and you're standing there looks like a freaking idiot again there it is like back to the bottom of the barrel you just keep getting knocked back down the runs, but every time I was leveling up, man. So at yeah. the bottom of the barrel, but the barrel's on a different rack. You see what I'm saying? Like you can. Not- A few rungs down, but you're on a whole different plane than you were before. But when we say, I have become a Green Beret, that's good enough. No, it isn't. Yes. Okay. Because if you don't keep going, then there's so much opportunity cost that it's incalculable, the opportunity cost, because there's so much opportunity for new relationships, new expansion of learning, new creativity. There's so much newness that we just stop putting light on this field and now nothing grows there.
0: I love it. Dudes, if you're listening to this right now, and if you feel stale in life, I want to challenge you. Are you just hiding behind past successes? Like some success from five years ago, 10 years ago. Dude, you're stale, bro. So let me ask you this, Jeremy, and it could be something small. It could be something whatever. What's something last year that you tried new?
1: So last year that I tried new, I guess jiu-jitsu technically started a few months before last year. So okay, but that's relatively new. 2022. And so last year, I went from being the drill instructor at Rise Up Kings to being the head coach of events. That's a very interesting and a very large step to take ownership of that experience. Yeah, And so then... That was a very big new thing for me that I tried new was having the confidence to step into that place and like own this event. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces and to own that in that space was a big thing. I started milling my own flour. My wife bought all this flour for me, like wheat berries. And so then actually I love baking cakes. So I literally have a cake on the counter right now for my mother-in-law's birthday, all made from scratch. I make pizza from scratch. I make bread from scratch. I make my own soap.
0: I'm tracking. It is tough. Fast guy, he's leading yeah. men, he's doing all the stuff. Yeah. Okay, he, he digs baking cakes, cool. Now yeah. I was tracking because I want to eat cake right now now the soap. Tell me why you started making soap. Because I'll do whatever the hell I want whenever I want to. <laughs>
1: is- and I decided one day, <laughs> I decided one day, you yeah. know what? I think it'd be cool to make some soap. And so I have my whole family saves bacon grease for me and I make soap out of bacon grease. Ah, uh, dude. And you know what? I take baths. Sometimes I put salt in the bath. that smells good. Like I'll do whatever the hell I want, man. No, like my man card is fully punched. It's yeah. fully punched. I That's am pretty- freed, And I'm on this side of this freedom. And like, bro, life is good over here where it's free. Free free of being anchored by your opinion of me or my supposition about what your opinion of me is really more accurate.
0: Yeah, somebody just said this, and I'm there's so many sayings out there, but somebody else's statements or sayings or something to that extent, it's more about the source than it is about the object it's coming to. Right. So when somebody's giving me shit about what phone I have or what soap I use or if I take baths as a grown man, it, right. it really has nothing to do with what I'm doing. And it has everything nah. to do with what's going on inside of them. So can totally. I untie myself from that and then love them where they're at? That would be the hope. But your answer, dude, oh, if more men felt that way i do whatever the hell i want but not getting home at 11 a.m drunk from the bar i drove home and telling my wife i'm a man i do whatever the hell i want they're so different the foundation of love and service that's coming from you being a man and doing whatever you want is like true confidence compared to the dude who's hiding behind this false patriarch i would say that
1: person isn't actually doing what they want they're doing what they're enslaved to They're enslaved Mm -hmm. to the sedation. And so Mm -hmm. think that what you want is to be home at 11. No, bro. What you want is love. And you found some fake thing at the bar is what you found yeah. you found some fake feeling of having a confidant of someone sitting across the bar that you get to talk to you found a fake feeling of peace you found it in the drugs that you're using mm-hmm. you found fakeness man and you're using fakeness and so i would say that person isn't actually doing whatever the hell they want i would say that person's doing what they're compelled to do by the sedation that they're addicted to no i'm doing what i want to do
0: yeah. Dude, so powerful, bro. This conversation incredible. I got notes all over my desk. I'm so excited for people to hear this. And just, I feel fired up to just be a man and be connected to you. Um, you not, not
1: February, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be there. Oh, yeah, we're going to smoke some cats together, man. It's going to be so Love great. It. We're nuking yeah. some souls come February. I'm so
0: pumped. It's going to be good. Before I ask my final question, okay. is there anything unsaid or anything you're feeling like if a dad was listening to this, we gave him a bunch of gold, but is there anything that I missed or anything you are pressed to? go, Hey, I would want to share this.
1: Nothing comes up. So
0: here's my final question. It's a legacy question. So imagine let's say 30 years from now, your daughters will all be like relatively at the age you are today. If you were standing in a cul-de-sac and you were peering through the window, what is it that you would see being played out that would put a big smile on your face going job? Well done. There'd be pride and contentment.
1: What an interesting question. If we just got this snapshot into their homes, what would be going on there that would make me feel content or effective? Yeah, like like a tear or a smile, like you're like... Something to do with connection, a connection with each other, connection with God. Like I would want to see there's some idea of like connectedness mm. in whatever way that would manifest for them specifically. But yeah, something like a pile of kids around the family dog and then some kind of imagery, not kids in all the different rooms on devices, Yeah, but everybody in the same space. I think that's what I would want to see. I want to see all of them, that whole family, my daughter's whole family in the same room at the same time. Um, But there's also like a deeper to it, like a a knowing that there is a connection also to God. Yeah, Mm. something like that.
0: Beautiful, I love it. And as dudes listen to that right now, I wanna challenge you to go, oh yeah, yeah, I totally get it. That's what I want too. I want you to go into your house later today and ask yourself, are you cultivating that? Or are you tired from your day job and you're walking in and all you wanna do is go sit in your own bed or your own backyard with your beer and your phone or your show and that's not happening. Because if it's not happening today, it ain't happened 30 years from now. So the things that you want in life for your family, you have to go work for. And uh, that's what Jeremy and I wanna leave you with today. Jeremy, bro, This has been so incredible. I'm looking forward to spending more time with you, getting to know you more. Thanks for being an incredible dad, husband and leader and just keep keep becoming, right? I mean, coming back to what you said, never arrive, continue to just pursue the greatness that God saw when he made you and sharing that with the world. So thank you so much for our time today. I just loved it.
1: Dude, absolutely, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. All right,
0: man. Until next time. What an incredible conversation. I loved digging into the confidence piece, right? To be a man that is okay to look silly, to look stupid, to try new things, to not get stale by hiding behind past successes. It's what we need and it's what our kids need. And it comes down to trusting who we are and continuing to get to know ourselves, right? If I want to be known, I have to be vulnerable and willing to get to know myself. And that happens to try new things. Now, you guys, most men, they don't know who they are. They don't understand their fatherhood role. And that's why I started Adventure of Fatherhood. You can go to adventureoffatherhood.com. Got a few options on there. As simple as getting a new dad a gift, a children's book, inviting him into his role to say, hey, dude, check it out. This is who you are. You matter. All the way to three online courses, one for brand new dads, one for dads who have a five to 15 year old who are just trying to better understand their role to a 90 day course where you roll with me for 90 days and really dig into intentional fatherhood. So check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. All right, my friends, if this is helpful beneficial, please write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood is critical and our world needs leaders and more dudes need to be engaging in their own. true identity as fathers. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else, be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide and head shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.